Could you open your Bibles to Revelation 21? We are at the very end of the Bible. No excuses for not finding our passage today. Just go to the, go to the last few pages. make sure that's working. Revelation 21, before we start, and uh, thanks uh, to our worship team for priming the pump and singing such great songs of worship that remind us of what is to come. And uh, I just want to make one quick announcement about small groups. So if you uh, saw the Friday email, if you read the Friday email, you see, I've seen already that we are looking uh, to get everybody signed up for a small group this fall. Um, That email is going to go out again, or at least the small group email is going to go out again today, and you're going to have the chance to fill that out. Um, There's actually an electronic version that you can do online, and if you uh, don't believe in those kinds of things, you can go to the welcome desk and get an actual paper copy and fill that out for us. We're asking everyone to fill this out, partly because we want to communicate the fact that we want this to be a church of small groups. We want it to be normal to be part of Wallenstein Bible Chapel, to be in a small group. And the other reason is, if you sign up and you say, I'm not planning to come this year, you actually have an opportunity to tell us why. And that's not because we're being nosy, but so that we can help you. Uh, If there are reasons or factors that make small group life difficult for you, uh, for us to know those will help us to be able to uh, provide, perhaps, a small group that would work for you. Uh, so please uh, take note of that. We, as I said, we want everyone to sign up, and we're hoping to see many, many new people and many new small groups uh, get going this fall. All right, Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 of this chapter. We're actually going to work our way down into the first five verses of chapter 22 as well. Listen to these words or follow with me. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And God, I come to you this morning and ask that you might open our minds and our hearts to understand something new, something precious, about the promise you make to us, those of us who are your children, about the future that is to come. Father, we confess that we struggle to understand and we impose upon these ideas our own concepts of what eternity will be like and and all too often, Lord, they are concepts that fall so far short that we find we're not even excited to be there. So Lord, would you open our hearts, our minds, to see the beauty of what you're describing here, 
Fill our hearts with excitement and hope about what is to come. We need your help with this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we're meant to reflect back when we read this first verse of Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There's some phrasing there that should be familiar to us if we know our Bibles. And what it should do is take us all the way back to the beginning, which says, can anyone help me? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's, it's language, and, and this happens a lot of times in the Bible, where a phrase is used that's meant to remind us about another place in the Bible where the same phrase is used. So here we are at the very end of the Bible, and we're reading again about the heavens and the earth. But, in this case, we're reading about a new heaven and a new earth. You see, what the Bible is doing here is it's bringing us full circle. And it's interesting to me that even God himself, as he describes himself in this passage, if you look down at verse 6, it's done, he's saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, which means that he is the beginning and the end. Everything here is coming full circle. God himself is full circle. He is eternal. Uh, the kids learned this morning that nobody made God. He's always been eternal, and he always will be. And his plan, in terms of creation and redemption, uh, is, is going to come to fruition because God can do that. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Whatever his intention is, he will bring to conclusion. So here in this passage, we have God, beginning and end, Alpha and Omega. We have, uh, we have the heavens and the earth. We're, we're seeing this idea of the full circle of God's plan being completed. It says here, it is a new heaven and a new earth. So theologians debate. There's two sides to this debate. One is, is this new heaven and a new earth literally a, a new heaven, and, meaning that this earth and our heavens are completely destroyed and, and done away with? Or does this mean that our heaven and our earth that, that exists today, that, that it will continue and it will be renewed? That's a question that theologians debate today. Now, I grew up believing that all of this is going to be destroyed and it's going to be a whole new heaven and earth. And when I read this verse, that's what it kind of says. It, it seems to be suggesting that. But many of our favorite theologians and most trusted preachers actually believe that, no, it's going to be a renewing of this heaven and this earth. Uh, my point today is we don't need to debate about that. Uh, whether it's new or renewed, God is going to do a brand new creation. His intention here is that his people would be filled with hope and filled with excitement. I mean, isn't it true that many of us struggle to be excited about eternity? And we have these visions of, uh, you know, floating around on clouds and playing harps. I never was a big fan of harp music. I mean, some of you, if you play a harp, I apologize, but I'm not, I haven't been a fan of that. And it just didn't seem very exciting to me. I remember a kid at Bible camp asked me, will there be ski hills in heaven? Because if, you know, he didn't seem that interested in going if there weren't going to be ski hills. So we struggle with this concept. And there's a danger even here because we're dealing with God describing a new heaven and a new earth. And he's, he's, he's helping us. Here's 
the infinite wise God trying to explain to us human beings what life in eternity is going to be like. It's going to be totally brand new, and we struggle to understand. But not only that, we struggle to trust. Why is it that we struggle to trust that God, when he brings all of redemption to a conclusion, uh, that, that we're not sure it's actually going to be that great? What is it about us that would struggle with that? We have all had experiences here in this world where we are face-to-face with God's creation and filled with wonder, have we not? I mean, I remember I came from the north, right? So I remember driving down Highway 11, coming around a corner, and uh, facing out my driver's side window, I, I was, uh, was the north. And in the north sky was the northern lights. I know some of you don't know what those are. If you've never seen them, maybe. But uh, if, you ever, if you ever want to go to God's country, you go north of North Bay. And you might get to see in the fall of the year the northern lights. And they were moving and dancing. And, and I literally thought I was going to have a car wreck because I was so amazed watching God's creation. I have stood on the end of a dock, also in northern Ontario, because there's no lights around, and you can actually see the stars, and been so overwhelmed with the hugeness of God's creation and the beauty of God's creation. What makes us think that when he makes everything new, when he makes a new heaven and new earth, it's going to be ho-hum? That is the dumbest thing we could ever imagine. Sorry, parents, I shouldn't have use the D word. I'm getting a little excited here. Think of moments in your life where everything seems right. And I'm going to share another Northern Ontario story now. But uh, when I was a kid, we, we, for a time, we lived in New Liskard. And our best friends, our best family friends also lived, they, did, they lived just outside of New Liskard. And many Friday nights, we would get our families together um, and, and have supper together. And so they had two boys that were around my age, and, and uh, they had a sister who was around the age of my sister, and we were all best friends. And I remember um, th- there was a few winters where we would go over to their house, and they had an old Polaris snow machine, and their dad had rigged up a, a toboggan to, to, to hook up behind it. So we would put two of us on the snow machine and three of us on the toboggan, and for hours we would rip around their garden, just around the yard. And we didn't, even, we didn't even turn around and try going the other way. We just kept going around counterclockwise. And I remember we, I remember us singing at the top of our lungs over the sound of the snow machine, singing songs from Sunday school and songs we'd learned at school and just feeling so excited to be with our friends and having so much fun going around and around the garden. And it was like everything was right. Well, you get older, if only we could just, you know, a snow machine and a toboggan could make everything right. But as a child, everything was right. I was, you could say, I was in heaven. I, I, I wasn't thinking about any problems in my life or any difficulties. I wasn't feeling any pain. I was just having this experience of intense pleasure. Folks, those moments are meant to show us something about a time that is coming when the only thing we will know is intense pleasure and joy and happiness. The wonder of being with the people we love, the wonder of being with the God that we love and Him loving us and just being forever in His presence. 
So stretch your imagination this morning as we learn about the new heavens and the new earth. Number one, first point I want to make is, this is a new earth. We're not talking about Mars or Neptune. We're not talking about some weird outer space kind of thing. We're talking about earth. So in other words, much of our experience here in this world, on this earth, is going to be continuous in the new earth. It's still going to be an earth, a world. So let me show you some examples of that. In verse 2, we find in this new earth is a new city, a new Jerusalem. We can relate to that. We've all been to cities. We've seen cities. Some of us live in a city. I remember as a child, the first time driving through Toronto or the first time seeing the CN Tower in the distance and being so, I mean, I grew up in Bancroft in northern Ontario. I'd seen a lot of trees. I'd never seen a city. And there's going to be a new city. That's something that we've experienced here in our world. Then there's going to be a tabernacle. Notice what it says in verse 3 about God. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling or God's tabernacle is now among the people. Well, that actually reminds us of the Old Testament, doesn't it? Where God had Moses and the people build a tabernacle, a tent, a dwelling place. And God literally camped out in the midst of the people of Israel. Now, obviously, lots of strings attached and lots of boundaries and guardrails between him and his holiness and a sinful people. But it reminds us of the fact that God, even then, wanted to dwell. He wanted to be in his tent, his tabernacle, with his people. So we remember that from the Old Testament. Then we find in verses 12 to 14, the city is described, and uh, the walls of the city, the foundations, the gates, and on those things we find the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of Jesus. That reminds us of this world. Those are things that have come out of this world in our experience here. And then in the city, we read of gold and precious, all these different colors of precious stones and pearls. Those are things that we've experienced here in this world. They're things that are beautiful. They're things that are valuable in this world. And so uh, the description of the city here, there's continuity. This is, this is something within our experience. Then we read of nations and kings. Don't ever think that in eternity, at the end of all things, God's intention is just to kind of whitewash all, all races and all languages and all nations, because the book of Revelation is very clear, that's not what's going to happen. In fact, it describes that around God's throne will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Every people group will be represented there. And notice here the description of the city continues to talk about these nations, plural, and kings, plural, that, that reminds us of the world we live in now. There's going to be this continu to, uh, continuity between this earth, this world, and the next world. Then in chapter 22, verse 1, we find a river. Well, it's an impressive river. It's the, it's the river of the water of life. But we can relate to that because we've seen rivers. We've experienced them. And then we have this great fruit tree, the tree of life. <clears throat> the description of it is of a tree that's <clears throat> bearing fruit that has leaves, and we can relate to that. So here's one of the important things I want us to understand, that in eternity, we will still have bodies, 
We learned that in the last two Sundays from 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> they will be redeemed bodies. They will be amazing bodies. Scripture says they'll be like the body of Jesus. And I've reminded you many times already about how Jesus, after he rose from the dead, had an amazing body. He could just show up, <clears throat> but he could still eat. And they could see him. They could touch him. But it was a different kind of body, a glorified body, a body that was both physical and spiritual. We are going to have bodies like that, and we're going to live in a real place that's, that's still physical. It's still going to be a world, an earth. It's a new earth. But then we need to see that it's a different earth. <clears throat> the descriptions that are given here, some people would say these are metaphorical. Um, I, I like to think that a lot of these things are, are meant to be taken literally, but, but even if they're metaphorical, they're speaking of true realities. So here's the first one, first verse of chapter 21. This is a different kind of world. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. <clears throat> There's a whole bunch of things that God might have told us about this new earth. Things that were different about it, but he chose this one. No sea. And I know some of you who like beach holidays are thinking, well, that's no fun. I wanted to sit on a beach. I want to hear the waves. I want to smell the ocean. Well, uh, just a little news flash for you. When you're there, you're actually still sitting on land. So you like the sea. You like looking at it. You like smelling it. But if I took you out in a boat and dropped you off a mile out into the water, it wouldn't be quite so fun. And I think that's one of the things that's being communicated here. If we're honest, there's something mysterious about the sea. There's something dreadful about the sea. It's frightening to many of us. Think about what purpose the sea plays in our world. Well, one of the things it does is it divides our continents. And Africa's on the other side of the Atlantic, and Asia's on the other side of the Pacific. There will be no sea of division in the new earth. I'm sure there'll be wonderful places to sit and enjoy, and maybe we'll get to hear the sound of waves. But, but the sea, in all, of, all the roles that it plays in our world, will be gone. Scientists would say that we know more about outer space. We've spent far more time in outer space than we've spent in the bottom of the ocean. We know very little about it. It's mysterious. It's a frightening place. It's not, in, it's not habitable for us. To go to the bottom of the ocean requires special machineries and great dangers. We <clears throat> got to visit, <clears throat> we were up at uh, Rich, uh, the DeVos' cottage this spring, and uh, one of our neighbors from Gory had a cottage right down the road. We were kind of surprised to find out, and so we had a nice visit with them. And uh, when the visit was done, Joel was with us, and uh, Rick went to his tool shed, and he pulled out this rusty spike. It was about 12 inches long, and he says, Joel, this is for you. This is from a shipwreck. And right outside on the bay, on the east side of, uh, of the Bruce Peninsula, there had been a shipwreck, and every time there's a big, wicked storm, more of these things wash up on the shore uh, where their cottage is. How many ships have gone down in the sea? How many people have died in the sea? How many shark attacks have there been in the sea? But not in the new world. There will be no more sea. Then we find wonderfully that this new earth will be the dwelling of God. Now when we talked about the Old Testament tabernacle, we know that God has been present in our world, but always with great limitations. In the new earth, God will be present with no limitations. If you go back and read about the Garden of Eden, we know that God is there. 
he, he was there in its, its creation. He made it, and we know that even after Adam and Eve sinned, they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. But we never actually literally hear the Word of God say that they saw Him or that the Garden of Eden was His home, was a place that He had access to, was a place that He was watching over. But not so in the new earth, because in the new earth, this is God's home. This is God's dwelling. And we will dwell with Him with no walls between, no tabernacle between, full access. We will see Him. Then we find the water of life. 21 verse 6. To the thirsty, God says, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Well, we haven't found that water. There's many... Many stories, many poems, many movies that have referenced this idea of the spring of the water of life. That somehow we could attain eternal life if we could only find, if there only was such a thing. Not so in this world. But in the next world, that will be a reality. Then we have this heavenly city. Notice the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and the descriptions of it are mind-boggling. They are meant to be mind-boggling. How can a massive gate be made out of a single pearl? How can an entire city be overlaid with gold? How could it possibly be? How could there be a city that's a square? Not not just square, but it's actually a cube. 2,200 kilometers wide and 2,200 kilometers deep and 2,200 kilometers high. We can't compute this. One city? If Wallenstein Bible Chapel, I've scientifically assessed this, if Wallenstein Bible Chapel was the center of the city, we would have to travel up to James Bay to get to the north end, down to Atlanta, Georgia to get to the south end, east we'd have to go to New Brunswick, and then to the west, the lovely city of Minneapolis. That is our city. But not only does it stretch that far and wide, and can you imagine the beauty that God would build into this and the opportunity we will have to explore? You want to, you want to take a holiday? You want to do a road trip? Yeah, there's going to be lots to see. But not only on the ground, because the city goes 2,200 kilometers high, if it was a building, that's over 73,000 stories. Some of you have been on a cruise ship, Right? I haven't been on one, so I'm just going to talk derogatory about it for a moment. <laughs> Easy for me to say. But cruise ship, amazing. And all these stories. You go to the top and there's a pool up there. and 73,000 stories of fun and glory and joy and opportunity. We can't compute this. I heard one guy say uh, this week as I was hearing him talk about this passage, oh, this is, this is just metaphorical. I doubt it. I can believe that this is Jesus could just walk through walls. Man, if, if Diane's up on the 43,000th floor, I'll just go up and see her. I don't need an elevator. It's a heavenly city. It is a mind-blowing city. We cannot make sense of it. We find in the new earth, there's no sun or moon. This is one of the reasons I would say, yeah, there's something brand new going on here. We need the sun and moon in our world because the sun creates energy that grows plants 
and the moon brings about tidal uh, energy and waves and things like that, but not on the new earth, gone. And then it says there's no night. Obviously, this is a whole brand new kind of thing here. It's impossible for in our world not to have night because we, how does that work? We spin, right? Do we revolve, we revolve around the sun and, and, we, and our planet spins and so we have to have night, but not in the new creation. And then we have this tree of life. Yeah, full circle. It was there in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve weren't allowed to eat it, especially after they sinned. But it will be in the new earth. And we read about these 12 crops of fruit. Finally, and I see it's not, oh, there it is. No possibility of sin. I've heard Christians ask about that. Well, I mean, if sin entered into the first creation, couldn't sin enter into the new creation? And God says, no, nothing. Verse 27, impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no sin, no possibility of sin in the new earth. And one more thing I want us to see. There will be no more curse. Now we remember, of course, that in God's original creation, there was no curse. We remember that God said it is very good. The curse is something that came into this world after humanity sinned. But the other description of this new heaven and earth we find in these verses is that there will be no more curse. Notice all of the things. Well, first of all, it says so. In verse 3 of chapter 2, no longer will there be any curse. Just as clear as that. But then the rest of the passage gives us some examples of how that is. Chapter 21, verse 4, there will be no more tears. That's not just a shampoo for babies in the new earth, that's the reality. No more tears. No more mourning, it says. No more crying, it says, which I summarize simply as this, no more sadness. Sometimes we wonder about that. I mean, we all have loved ones who have heard about Jesus, but have, up to this point at least, rejected him. Or we all, perhaps many of us, have loved ones who've already died. And as far as we know, they hadn't trusted in Jesus. Praise the Lord, living water. Water of life. Thank you, Andreas. <clears throat> and so we ask ourselves, how could I possibly be happy in heaven if I know my spouse isn't going to be there or, or isn't there, if I know my child isn't there, if I, if I know my dad isn't there, how, how could I possibly be happy in heaven? And I, I can't fully explain that to you. Does God, does God wipe memories? Or I, I'm not sure how that works. But we know this, there will be no sadness. However God does that, I don't believe that God wipes all our memories from this world. I don't, God, I don't believe God wipes our, uh, our personalities and, our, uh, and, and who we are as human beings. And I suspect he's not going to wipe memories. So I don't know how that works. But the general explanation here is that sadness is gone. Hard not to think of those uh, in our congregation this week who are suffering deep sadness and deep fear and deep concern for loved ones. 
in the new earth there will be no more sadness in the new earth there will be no more death we remember that death is one of the aspects of the curse there was no death before Adam and Eve and all of us sinned there will be no death in the new creation and there will be no pain and finally from verse 8 we know that there will be no sin Verse 8 says, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. We read these in our culture, in our mindset, and we wonder how we could be excited or happy about this. How could God be so harsh to send sinners to this place of fire and punishment. But the reality is, if we want to live in a world where there's no sadness and no death and no pain, there is a requirement that there would be no rebellion, that there be no sin, one human being against the other. And so we we can understand why all of those things will have to be removed. They'll never even be a possibility. No more curse. Let me uh, conclude with this comment. Let's have no more misconceptions. Now, I feel woefully inadequate to explain the things that we're reading here, but there's a few things that we need to stop saying. Here's the first one. We need to stop saying, someday I'm going to go to heaven. Now, if you die before Jesus comes back, or if a loved one dies before Jesus comes, comes back, if they're a child of God, they will go to heaven. Their soul will go to heaven. Their body remains here on the earth. Their soul will go to be with Jesus in heaven. Remember, that's what Paul talked about. He, was, he said, I'm torn between whether I, I die or whether I stay. But if I die, I will be with the Lord. He's talking about his soul there. So yes, if you die, or loved one dies before Jesus comes back, you will get to go to heaven. But if Jesus were to return, uh, or at least at his second coming, again, depending on what our view of the rapture is, once the second, if you're alive until the second coming, you'll never go to heaven. Because this city, this heavenly city, comes down from heaven to the earth. We are spending eternity on the earth. Have you seen that here? We're not spending eternity in heaven. We're spending eternity on this new earth. Now, you can read Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven. How many have have read that book? A few of you, I'm sure. Uh, A lot of speculation, lots of imagination, but he does a good job of helping us imagine some of the possibilities. And Randy Alcorn would say, we'll get to explore the heavens, the new heavens, but home for us will be on the earth, the new earth. Secondly, no more misconceptions. We will have real bodies on a real earth. We will not be disembodied. We will not be spirits or ghosts. We'll not float around on clouds. I'm sure we won't all be at least playing harps. But we will have real bodies on this real earth, and we will never be bored. I want us to transition from this into communion And I suppose a lot of us would ask the question, well, how does communion fit with this 
message. I mean, we've talked about things that are celebratory and wonderful and exciting, and now we, we transition to communion where we remember the death of Jesus? Really? Is that, is that really appropriate? And I say emphatically, yes, it is. And I want to show you why, and I want, to see, I want you to see these concepts and these verses in this very passage that we're looking at here. First of all, notice what Jesus is called in this passage, especially in verse 20, chapter 22. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Keep reading. Verse 3, No longer will there be any curse, the throne of God and of the Lamb. Doesn't call him the Son, doesn't call him the King, calls him the Lamb. In fact, the book of Revelation started here, at least in chapter 4 and 5, where we first see that vision of, of the throne of God, and then there's this scroll, and who's going to open the scroll? And nobody was found worthy. John begins to weep. But then in chapter 5, the appearance of the Lamb. And John describes him literally as a lamb looking as though it had been slain. Amazing that even after Jesus was resurrected, that he had this new glorified, resurrected bodies that could come through walls. It was the real thing. But when Thomas doubted, the resurrected, glorified Jesus could say, look at my hands. There's a lot of poems and a lot of songs have been written about this concept. Casting Crowns has recently put one out. It says, the only scars in heaven, the only scars in heaven, all yours and all mine will be gone, but the scars of Jesus, the song says, the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now. He's called the Lamb. Even there, when everything is made new and everything's wonderful and perfect and the curse is gone, but the Lamb, the Lamb is there. He'll always be the Lamb. And this Lamb left His heavenly dwelling so that we ultimately could dwell with God. This lamb was forsaken by God. Do you remember those words on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cast away from the presence of God. Why? So that we could be accepted by God, so that we could hear these words. The dwelling of God is now with the people. Jesus was killed outside the city so that we could be at home in the city. He died so that we could hear these words spoken over us, no more death. Scripture says that he was in agony long before the cross, just facing the reality of the wrath of God that was about to fall upon him and the Gospel of Luke says he was in agony and he was sweating blood. And he faced agony so that the Bible could speak those wonderful words over us, no more pain. And on the cross, he thirsted. 
He announced it. He said it. I'm thirsty. It's one of the horrific realities of crucifixion was to be hung in the, in the heat of that climate and just dehydrate to death. So yeah, he thirsted. But then he says to us, I'll give you streams of living water. You will thirst no more. We read in our passage about all of those types of sinful behaviors that will never find a home in the eternal city. But we know from Scripture that those things found a home in Jesus as he was put to death on the cross. Paul said he became sin. He, he became the murderer. He became the thief. He became the rapist for us. And he died in darkness. You ever think of that? The sky went black in the middle of the day. It was dark. So that he could speak these words over us, no more night. No need for lamps or lights. Always light in that city. Finally, we know from Scripture, he became a curse. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became a curse for us so that God's word could pronounce over us of our future eternal state, no more curse. So it would be wholly inappropriate for us not to take a few moments at the end of this message, of all messages, and remember Jesus and all that he's done for us in making this eternal hope possible. So would you take your emblems, if you have them, I hope you have them, I hope you know how to open those. And we'll start with that little piece of bread from the top. And please go ahead and, and share that together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Everything that we gain in Christ, you gave up. You suffered so desperately so that we could know a world without pain, without sin, without death. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And go ahead and open that little cup of juice. We're reminded, of course, of uh, this eternal city where we will feast at the very table of God. It's got to be a big table. And for now, we feast here. We, we come to this table of the Lord, and yes, we're remembering Him, remembering His death, but we're also foreshadowing another meal, a far, far greater meal, we will sit at the table with Jesus, with the Lamb, with God. They will have spread another kind of table before us, providing for us the wonders of eternal bliss. But for now, we remember all that he suffered so that we could experience that, that same table one day. We thank you, God, for your great plan, your amazing goodness. We thank you for redemption, that in spite of our sinfulness and our unworthiness, 
Throughout history, you have made a plan that will come full circle. You'll bring us back to Eden, to a far better Eden. And it's only through Jesus, Lord. It's not because we're good people. It's not because we're religious. It's not because we've done enough good deeds. It's only because of the salvation we found in Jesus. Thank you so much for the Lamb. Fill our hearts with wonder at who he is and what he's done. I pray that as we head into this week, we would be filled with hope, excitement, and a determination, Lord, to live faithfully for you so that others could join us in that great city. Make this a reality, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.